welcome to The Real Church Podcast. Our mission is for you to know the love of Jesus and live out your God-given purpose. Now, join us and listen in to the latest message from Pastor David John Phillips. I want to invite, I believe, well, she, she is, she's my favorite speaker of all time. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Sorry, fellas. Your wife is second best. My wife's more beautiful than yours. (laughs) I am the man I am today because of her prayers for me. And I'm not joking. I'm not just saying that. I learned to love. You know, we love because he first loved us. I learned to love because God first loved me through her. That's pretty amazing. She challenges me, she encourages me, and and she's anointed by God. And so I know I just encourage you to sit on the edge of your seats today and and just ask God to speak to you because what you're going to hear, you're not not just going to hear my wife, Courtney Phillips. You're going to hear a mighty woman of God, and every word that flows from her mouth is going to penetrate because it's truth. The Holy Spirit is going to speak through her, and it's going to be amazing. You're going to walk away today with a deeper understanding of how much God loves you. So would you guys please uh, give a big hand just welcoming my beautiful wife. And, baby, I'll get the, uh, the thing for you. Yeah. Did I unmute? Oh, hey. Good morning. Hi, my name is Courtney. And before I get into what we're talking about, I wanted to point out something that happened during worship. And and maybe some of you come here and you're like, like what you're doing, but why is that guy dancing around the front? I wanted to talk about Bryn for a second. So something really cool about the church of of Jesus, those of us who belong to the household of Jesus, we are a worldwide body of believers. And I'm actually going to go into that in my message today. He and his family are from Zimbabwe, Africa. And there is something that we can learn as believers from other churches, from other communities, from other cultures. We can learn something that that maybe in our culture it's not really the norm. You know, normally, unless you're at a youth rally, it's almost like that freedom to just say, God, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to give what I have. And, and the cultural aspect of the dancing and stuff in Africa is huge. We should learn from people. I am encouraged by your joy. I hold back. I hold back. And I know most of y'all probably do too. I hold back what's happening inside. Like sometimes I'll be like, Because, because of, I don't know, it's kind of stupid, right? What has God done for you? Like, I don't, I think of what God has saved me from, what God has brought me through, and where God has taken me. And like, I, I need to start dancing some for Jesus too. Maybe y'all don't want to see me doing it because I don't do it as cool as he does. But, but there's joy in him that is contagious. And so remember when, we, when we're worshiping together and maybe you see people's hands raised, look, you don't know what God saved them free from. 
When you see someone dancing or just weeping at the feet of Jesus, weeping in church or weeping when they, when they hear a worship song, just remember that we don't know where they've come from. We don't know where, what God has brought them through. And so that's encouraging to me. I just wanted to point that out because I think that it's important that we learn from one another. So like he said, I belong to him. That's my husband. He, uh, he asked me to speak, and I was excited because we are in the series called Characters. And up until today, we've been learning about people. I don't even like the title characters, really, because we've been learning about people that God used throughout history in the Bible, those people's stories in the Bible. And we've been learning about them and how God used broken people to bring his kingdom to earth. Isn't that good news? I, I think that the most impactful thing about this series and about reading throughout Scripture is that the people that God used to do mighty things were screw-ups. They had families. They had houses. They had jobs. They had kids. They had drama. If you go back to Genesis and you read in Genesis, you're like, man, I, if I compare in my life to their life, like they were crazy. If God can use them, God can use me. Just read the story of Abraham or Paul, and you will really be encouraged through what God can do through broken people. And so as we move forward today, I'm actually going to be, for the first time in this series, speaking about actual characters, not real people. It's actual characters from the Bible. I'm going to be sharing about the parable of the talents and breaking that apart and how is it applicable to my life. And it's said that this is one of the most influential and most impactful parables. I've read this, I've been reading on like forums and ministry blogs and, and looking throughout history. And this is one of the most taught and the most applicable teachings in scripture for us today. So I think it's important that we dive into. And all a parable is, is a human story with a heavenly meaning. That's it. See, Jesus was here doing ministry for about 33 years, or about three and a half years. He lived about 33 years. And for three and a half years, he was tasked by God to bring the message of the kingdom of heaven, deep spiritual truths, to a bunch of fishermen, prostitutes, and broken people. And I don't think that he could have taught any clearer than using things that made sense to them to teach them the deeper truths of heaven, right? So I love parables. If you've been here for any period of time, if I'm speaking, it's usually about a parable. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 29. I'm going to use my phone. Um, I use the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, I highly, highly encourage you to download it. It is amazing to have scripture with you all the time. And I am going to take a moment to lay the groundwork for the message. I have the longest intro and the shortest message ever. So I'm going to be laying the groundwork for the majority of this message so that you can learn how I read the Bible. You can learn how a lot of other people read the Bible. I've taken a lot of teachings on reading the Bible and kind of made them practical to me and how I learn. So when I read the Bible, I need to understand context. I need to understand why does this matter for me? But in order to understand that, I ask myself five questions. Who is speaking? Who is being spoken to? Where are they? What's the backdrop? Where have they been? What's their day look like? 
What are they talking about? Because that's important. And how is it applicable to me? So, like I said, I'm using the Bible app. You can use our website, realchurch.us, on your phone. Tap on this Sunday and then view sermon notes, and you'll pull up everything that's going to be on the screen behind me. This is a really practical way to get into the Word, to understand what's going on. Because if you are like me and you scroll or you, you flip through your Bible and you just point to a verse, it can really screw you up if it's not directed by God. There's a comedian I like, and he said he was... Um, signing autographs, this Christian comedian, signing autographs, and the guy said, uh, hey, just put your favorite Bible verse, and he blanked. And so we just wrote, wrote the first verse that came to his mind. He's like, God will use this. I don't know what I'm writing, but I'm just going to write this verse. And then, so everybody's asking him for his favorite Bible verse. So he went through hundreds of autographs signing his name. I think it was John Christ and his favorite Bible verse. And then he goes home, and he's like, I really need to know what I was writing. Like, I hope God uses it. And he opens his Bible, and it says, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. <laughs> and so I, I don't usually do, like, flip and point in the Bible. It's okay if you do. Sometimes God will put a verse on your heart, and it will be on time, and it will be really good. But I choose to understand what's going on. So I ask these questions. And we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. But before I get there, I need to answer these questions. So who is speaking? My first question, who is speaking? I see in my Bible, on my app, in my Bible, my paper Bible, that the, red, the letters are in red. And anytime you see red letters in the Bible, it is Jesus Christ speaking. If your Bible isn't in red letters when Jesus is speaking, do a little digging and just make sure you know who is speaking. So if you're reading about John, it's not going to be in red letters. If you're reading something that John wrote or said, it's not going to be in red letters. So you should probably find out who is speaking. But I know, I've already laid the groundwork. I've already looked up the context for you. So John, or I'm sorry, Jesus is speaking. Aww. So I'm a mama, so I hear babies and I'm like, it's so cute. So who is speaking? So who is being spoken to? If I look at Matthew 25, verse 14, all I see is what is being said, but I don't know the context. I don't know if Jesus is talking to prostitutes, if he's talking to businessmen, if he's talking to disciples. I don't know the context of this. So I have to go back to Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, Now nothing in Scripture is put here by accident. It could have just said Jesus was talking to a bunch of people, but it differentiated between two different groups of people. Why is that important? Now, again, parables are meant to make deeper truths come alive to, to the people that they're being spoken to. And so for me, to make these deeper truths come alive, I really need to understand, like, what is the difference between a, a crowd and a disciple? And I look at it something that's practical to me as like a fan and a follower. So you've got a fan. You've got these guys that Jesus is teaching to, and they're like, yeah, I like what you're doing. This is good. I like listening to you. I, it's a good word. I, could, I, could, I, could, I, I like what you're doing. But then you've got followers who take it another step. You've got followers who are devoted. They're consistent. The followers are with him and say, I don't want to just listen to what you have to say. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I have a really practical example in my life of a fan versus a follower. Several months ago, a couple in our church took David and I to a hockey game. 
It was my first hockey game. It was Tampa Bay Lightning. It was a lot of fun. I had fun. Do y'all like, do y'all like a hockey? Okay. So it was my first game from Louisiana. Like we, I wouldn't think that Florida had ice, but there's a big slab of ice. So, so my first game, it was so much fun. I want to go back, just so you know. I want to go back. It was a lot of fun. I didn't, so they didn't win when we went, and so the whole season they wouldn't take us back. <laughs> so, but I would be considered a fan. I like it. It's fun. It's, it's entertaining. But then you've got Mike and Angie Gabbert. And anybody that knows Mike and Angie Gabbert, they are followers. Now, they're followers of Jesus, but they are lightning followers. They, they work out their budget. They're good stewards of their money, but they work out their budget to buy season tickets. They go to every game that they can. They know, they were telling us, oh, this guy just moved here from so-and-so. I'm like, how do you, are you friends with them? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's out because he hurt his leg. He's, he's here in his healing process. And I'm like, how do you even know that? Like, they are followers. So I would be considered a fan of hockey, a fan of the lightning. They have two types of clothes, real church and lightning. Like, they are followers. So that's a difference between a fan and a follower. The fans of Jesus are the people who show up and they're like, yeah, good. I like, I like what you're teaching. I'll sit and listen. I'll take it in. I might put some of it into practice or something, but yeah, it's good. But then you've got followers who take it a step further. So we've answered two questions up to this point. Jesus is speaking. Who he's speaking to are crowds and disciples, fans and followers. So where are they? Like, what did their day look like? Matthew 24, verse 1, it says, And Jesus left the temple and was going away. So we know that he had been in the church teaching a bunch of people. And you can go back even further and see that this was a long day of teaching. He laid out so much stuff. And when you read it, it might take you 30 minutes to read it all. But when you think about just teaching, you got to take into account there were a bunch of people there. They, they were probably asking a bunch of questions. They might not all be recorded, but like it seems like from Scripture, it seems like the context of this was Jesus was teaching for a long time to a bunch of people. So Jesus is speaking to his crowds and his disciples, and they are in the temple, but he left the temple. Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, So he went away and he sat on the Mount of Olives. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. So he went and he sat. I feel like, because for me, I'm a visual person. Like, I like to picture it. I love the movies that are made about Bible times because it makes it come alive to me. And so I picture him sitting on this grassy hill with a tree. I know it's just what I see in my head. Get this. So you've got his fans who stayed or probably went home, took care of the kids and all that stuff. But you've got his followers. Matthew 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, basically saying, tell us more. That's the difference in a fan and a follower. A follower wants to know more. After a long day of minute, Jesus had to climb a mountain to get alone, to get away. Like he was probably tired. I mean, he was a man like us. And he was probably tired, and his disciples were like, we're not done. I need more. They left church, and on Monday, we're like, all right, let's get in this word. Let's, let's start learning what my master is teaching me. And so we are going to answer our last question. I'm sorry, our fourth question. What was he talking about? Jesus, 
At this point, he's teaching his disciples, his close, those that are closest with him. He's on a hill under a tree. At least that's what I see in my head on the Mount of Olives. What was he talking about? In Matthew 25, verse 14, all we see is it says, for it will be like, or for it is like. That's what we know. I don't know what it is. He could be talking about anything in the universe. And so I have to, again, context. It takes a little time, but it's worth it. I have to go back to 25, verse 1, and see that he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. My friend Kayla is uh, doing this Bible study. She invited me to do this Bible study. It's like a 90-day Bible study. And I realized it's going to take me 900 days because I can't just read the Bible. I have to dive in and I have to get the information. Like, I want to learn. And so I've been doing it a month. I should be like halfway done. And I'm in like Exodus. So I've got a long way to go. But to me, it's worth it because I, I, I try and just absorb as much as I can. And I encourage you when you read the Bible to do that as well. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And the last question is, why is this applicable to me? If he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, what a lot of us understand heaven to be is when we as believers, we give our life to Jesus and we live our life. Of course, we love him and we pray and we do all these things, but but then we die and we go to heaven. Heaven is this far off place. And yes, that is true. And that's a whole nother teaching. But yes, heaven is a far off place. But, but scripture tells us that the kingdom of heaven is now for those who believe. Once we cross that line of faith, we were implanted with the Holy Spirit. And he says that you are citizens of heaven today. And so the teachings are applicable to us about the kingdom of heaven because we are in the kingdom of heaven today. And I'm going to prove it through scripture. Matthew 25. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. Philippians 4. I'm sorry. Philippians 3.20. My notes are a little... Frazzled. I was typing them as my kids were asking me for dinner. It's real church, right? Like, happens. Philippians, I believe it's 3.20. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is, not will be, our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians 2.19, the second half of 19. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are members of the household of God. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Those of you who have given your life to Jesus. Matthew 6, 9, when the disciples were saying, how should we pray? Like, how are we supposed to pray? He said, you should pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We live in the kingdom of heaven today. In fact, Because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we live on earth, did you know that we are ambassadors of heaven? We are representatives of Jesus Christ here. So everything that is taught to us is for today. And everything that I'm going to teach to you is in love. And I pray that it is challenging and it stirs something in you to say, you know what? I can't just sit back anymore. i got to be a follower. i got to dive into everything that God wants for me. There's a song... uh, so I might not look like it, but I listen to a lot of Christian hip-hop. I'm not going to rap. Y'all don't want me to rap. I'm not good at it. David can rap, believe it or not. Y'all got a rapping pastor. But um, there's a song that one of my favorite rap artists did years ago. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm like, 
So it's called Aliens, and I'm going to speak it because I don't want to risk, like, trying to rap it and y'all laughing at me. I mean, y'all can laugh at me if you want. I laugh at myself all the time. But the song is called Aliens, and here are the lyrics. Aliens, strangers in places foreign and lands that we are, and call us peculiar, but know that we are aliens. We are citizens of heaven, living on earth, ambassadors for Christ here until we get to heaven, to our final destination. So let's dive into the teaching. I told you I was the longest intro, shortest message ever. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. I'm talking about the parable of the talents. Now, to the people then, this 2,000 some odd years ago, a talent was something that made sense to them. It was just, a, it was a form of money. And our message really isn't even about money today, which is funny. But a talent was a form of money because Jesus taught a lot about money because that is a practical way to see the heart of the believer, right? But it's also a practical way that, that it, it makes sense to us when we put a dollar sign to something because especially, especially me in America where everything has a dollar sign attached to it. And so to them, the talents were very applicable to their day. And so... I needed to understand, for me, how this teaching about talents would would make sense to me. And so I did some research and saw that the value of a talent, he could have used a silver coin. He could have used a gold coin. He could have used a denarii. Heck, he could have used a dollar. But he used talent. And the value of the talent really changes the meaning of this story for us. One talent today would be worth, August the 4th, 2019, one talent would be worth 1.4 million U.S. dollars. And so when we're reading this, the story that Jesus is teaching to them to teach a deeper spiritual truth to them, we can replace talents with 1.4 million dollars. So I'm going to read them as talents, but I just want you to remember the actual value that was given to these guys. So, 25 verse 14, for it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. I don't know what abilities they had. It's not recorded. But what I do know is the the master that left this money to them saw something in them. And even the guy that got one, what he saw in him was valuable because he gave him 1.4 mil. That's a lot of money, no matter, no matter who you are. So it says, he went away on a long journey. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, his master came, came back to settle accounts. Basically, and I'm going to summarize because that's a lot, of, a lot of scripture, but I do encourage you to read it and study this. Don't take my word for it. So basically, the master comes back, and 
He goes to the guy who had five talents. He's like, here, master, I had five. Like, you gave me $7 million, and I've made you $7 million more. I went out, and I used my gifts, talents, and abilities to, to bring this to you. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been, you have been faithful with a little, and I'm going to give you more. That's awesome. We see also the guy that was given $2.8 million, two talents, $2.8 million brings back 5.6 and says, here, I've, I've doubled what you gave me. It wasn't as much as the other guy, but the master still said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will bless you with more. But then what the other guy did that was given the one talent said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent that you gave to me. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seeds. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. To everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. How is this applicable to us today in 2019? The master didn't expect for them to bring the He didn't expect the guy who had 1.4 million to bring back 14 million. He even told him, the least you could do is put it in the bank. That's easy. You hid it. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. God has blessed every single one of you, blessed me, with unique gifts, talents, and abilities to use for him to use in his body. David was talking earlier about getting, getting involved, getting connected. Real church, real church is a group of people who've just said, you know what, I don't, I don't know what I have. I don't know how it's valuable, but, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do what God wants me to do, even if I'm not real sure what it is. And so my challenge to you is I want you to look within yourself. Ask God. Search me, God. What have you given me that you're asking me to give? And this is not even about money. If that's what God tells you, okay, but I'm referring to the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given to each of you. The Bible calls us the body of Christ. And it can take everything that I've shared about this, this parable, this story, that is intended for us, it can take it and make it make sense for us today. Ephesians 4.16 says, from the, from the whole body, it's referring to the body of Christ, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our goal is not to have a big church. Our goal is to impact Clearwater. When we moved here, David and I, we couldn't do this ourselves. Are you kidding me? It's taken more people than we can count to start this, this particular ministry. If you belong to a different church, this applies to you in your home church unless God calls you to go somewhere else. 
This is not about building up our ministry or anything for us. This is about teaching you the word of God. There is something that comes alive. Ms. Heidi said it one time. There's something that comes alive when you understand all the principles of scripture and you start putting them into practice. There is something that comes alive in you that you can't put words to. I asked a guy this morning, I was like, so what has, what has being a part of what God is doing here in this local body, what has it done for you? Just out of curiosity, it's not that we do to receive, but I'm just curious, what has being a part of it done for you? And he was almost speechless, everything. I, I got to be a part. He said, I'm going to get here when y'all get here, and I'm going to leave after y'all leave. Like, I'm, I'm in. That is an incredible servant's heart. And whenever he was invited to be a part of this ministry, to be a part of it, to come and serve and be a part and serve you guys and serve everybody that has come through here, he was like, I don't know what I could do. And it's like, well, you can do something, man. You have got a gift in there. And I don't know what it is, but we're going to help you find it. And he is a rock star at what he does at Real Church. I've got another example of someone. Um, I told her that I was going to share with you, so it's not going to catch her off guard. But it's about a lady named Miss Loretta Keith. She met us when we moved here. It was just David and I. We moved here with our three kids. I had a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. We moved halfway across the country from Louisiana, about a 15-hour drive, to start a church where we knew our realtor, and that is it. And when we moved here, we started, like, we gotta, like what are we going to, I mean, are we just going to meet in a field and just hope people come? Like, what are we going to do? And so we had the tools and stuff that were encouraging us, bring people in. This is, this is not about you, Courtney and David. This is not about me and David. This is about my kingdom, and I want other people to be a part of what I'm doing. I want them to be the ones that are like the disciples. And whenever everybody else goes home, they stay and say, I got to know more. I got to be a part of this thing. And so we started praying and we started having interest socials, just getting the word out, giving away free coffee and saying, hey, if you want to be a part of this, come on. And I met Loretta at the house coffee shop in Largo. Awesome place, by the way. If you got a gift bag, you got a gift card in there for the house coffee shop. So just want to let you know that. But she came to me one time, and she was like, well, what can I do at one of our launch parties, at one of our launch team trainings? And, and I was like, well, I don't know. What can you do? And she was like, I don't really know. So we, we started her off greeting. And then she was like, I really want to do this. And she's physically one of the strongest people I know because she was out in the parking lot in the heat last summer, setting up stuff, setting up flags, setting up signs. I mean, working her fingers to the bone to the point of hurting her foot, breaking her foot, and then putting a boot on and getting out there moving signs. We had to force her to sit down because she knew that there was something in her that God wanted to use. And as she was developing and learning over these last 11 months, now she's my go-to girl. She's my girl that I'm like, you have a lot of gifts, talents, and abilities. And I, I don't know that, that you are that person who, who needs to be in one place all the time doing the same thing every week. And she's like, I know, it's like I'm, I'm just getting to know myself. Something awakens in you. The gifts that God has given you are meant to be used, not squashed down. And this isn't a, con a convicting or a, a con condemning message. This is not, hey, if you haven't done this, this, and this, you're wrong. Listen, God loves you. But fear, like this guy had, will paralyze you. Fear of serving, fear of using your gifts, fear of what God is going to say, fear of getting it wrong will paralyze you. But... 
1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And you, my friends, are perfectly loved by our perfect Father in heaven. And everything that he has asked of us is not to, to beat you in the ground and say, you have to do this, you have to do that. It is for you. Everything that he does is for you. Everything that we teach is for you. My passion is that people rise up in their gifts, talents, and abilities and use them for the kingdom of God. And you are invited to do it here at Real Church if you want to, if God has led you to. If you are visiting from another church, hey, I invite you on behalf of your church to get involved. And if there is a church that you're going to and they say, we don't need you, then say, i got to use what God's given me and go somewhere where you can. We are one kingdom. I was referring to to the churches in Africa. We are one kingdom under God. Just like the United States is one nation under God, we are one kingdom under God. So if God has given you something valuable, and I believe he has, even the one who was given 1.4 million, one talent, that's very valuable. That's significant. That is life-changing. But he hid it, and he never got to use it. So what has God given you? Have, you? have you hidden what God has given you because someone told you that you sucked at it? Pardon my French, but it is what it is. Have you taken something that God has given you and maybe you've been told that you're worthless. Maybe you've been told that you're, you're not good enough to, to use this gift. I was told that when I was in elementary school, my mom had me in piano with my Aunt Chris, my Aunt Christine. And I would go to practice every week, and I would have my sheet music there, and I would play my song, and I would go home. And then I'd go back the next week, and she'd, I'd be like, could you just play it for me real quick so I can hear it? And so she'd play it, okay, and then I'd play it. So as time went on, I had a recital coming up, and I, uh, she told me, now this week you have to practice every day. She didn't know that for the year that she had been teaching me piano, I didn't have a piano. I played by ear. It was, a, it was a God-given talent. I would have her play it to me, and then I'd play it back to her. I didn't know I was supposed to be learning how to read the stuff on the paper. I just knew if you put a song up there and you play it for me, I'm going to play it back to you. But that week she told me that I had to practice, and all of a sudden I was like, I don't, how do I practice? I don't have a piano. And she lived across the street, and I, I didn't tell David this story. I got in big trouble for this. So I went across the street when she wasn't home, and we lived on a gravel loop in Louisiana. Nobody locked their houses. Like, we're, we're all family living on the same loop. I went to her house, and I, uh, I was probably nine years old, and she had a keyboard. I knew she had this keyboard in a, in a bag. And so I went, and I took it, and I lugged it across the street, and I put it under my bed, and then I would practice all week. And she's like, I'm missing my keyboard, and I'm feeling so guilty. But I didn't know what else to do. Fast forward a few years, she moved away, and I started taking piano from another lady once a week at my school. And I kept doing the only thing that I knew how to do. I'd get her to play me the song, and I'd play it back to her. If it was a song that was like on a movie, I'd listen to it on the movie, and then I would play what I heard. She told my mom, I was... 11 at the time. She told my mom, just take her out of lessons. She's never going to be able to play music. She's never going to be able to do this. And it crushed me, and I didn't put my fingers on a piano for years because 
the gift that God gave me was squashed. The gift that God gave me, I felt like it's not a gift, it's a curse. It's a curse that I can't read music because of what someone else said to me. You're not valuable. You're not valuable enough to play the piano. You, you, she told my mom and I overheard her and it crushed me. She said she will never learn. A few years later, my mom is a thrifter and she went to a garage sale and bought this upright piano. And I started playing again and I started doing something as a, I don't know, 14, 15 year old kid. I started writing my own music because it was fun. Started writing my own music, playing and everything. And fast forward, God has me playing in church. Fast forward again, God has me playing in a really big church. And what I'm saying is a lot of times those gifts, either we've squashed for fear of failure or someone else has squashed because they don't understand them. But I want to encourage you that if God has put something inside of you, use it. Use it for his kingdom. Fear will prevent you from doing what God wants you to do. I'm going to turn it over to David. Thank you, baby. What I hear, and I've heard this over and over and over, is, oh, that's good for you. You can play the piano. But I'm not valuable. I, I can't do that. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. I, I hear that over and over and over. And first, I just want to rebuke the lie with truth because that's a lie. It just is. And truth sets you free. See, the truth is that Jesus Christ, the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. Jesus died for you. Someone's only worth what someone else would, something's only worth what someone else would pay for it. And someone, in the same way, is only worth what someone else would pay for them. And Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, paid his life for you. How dare you say you're not valuable? You're worth the very life of Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's handiwork, created by him in advance, prepared in advance to do good works good, amazing things. God has so many amazing things that he's put inside of you that you're not going to understand and you're not going to realize until you walk in relationship with him and believe who he says that you are. Rest in the fact and who he says that you are. And stop disagreeing. There's so many Christians I talk to all the time that they fight their value and they're fighting in their head. People tell them, no, I'm not. No, stop fighting it and just agree with what the word says about you. Everybody would take a moment just close your eyes. I want to invite, I believe that there's people in here, they hear all of this stuff and they just heard what I said and they heard what my, my wife was saying and they realized for the first time that they're valued by God and they want a relationship with a creator. They used to think God hated them, but now they realize that God loves them. Now you realize that God loves you and you want a, a real relationship with the creator of the universe. That only happens through Jesus. I'm going I'm to ask, if that's you, if you want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you want to start a real relationship, not religious, you know, no, I'm talking real relationship, knowing God personally, entering into eternal life, knowing God now. 
If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And if you want to know him and you, you don't, but you want to, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Anybody at all that needs to give their life to Jesus needs to know him. I see it. I see your hand. Nobody else is looking, but would you look at me? Do you believe? The Bible says that you, you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. You confess him as Lord. You'll be saved. You'll be born again. You'll be brand new. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Yes or no? Yes? Do you believe that he rose again so that you could experience his life? Yes? Are you ready to give him your life? Confessing him as Lord says, I'm following you. Following me hasn't worked at this point. I'm following you now. Yes or no? Yes? All right. We're going to pray a prayer. And in praying this prayer, just mean it with your heart. Right? It's, it's relationship. Okay? So mean it with your heart. Mean it with everything you have inside of you. If you guys would pray this with me, just to encourage, let's just, just pray this out loud. God, I need you. I've been running from you. But today I choose to run back to you. I believe you, you, Jesus, died for me. I believe you rose again. And today, you are my Lord. Teach me to follow you. Forgive me, God. Thank you that you paid for my forgiveness. I receive that. Now make this confession and believe it. I am forgiven. I am new. I am yours. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Real Church Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or would like to get to know us, be sure to check us out on social media by searching Real Church Clearwater or visit us online at www.realchurch.us. If you'd like to play a part in what we're doing, you can do so right where you are. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You can also be a part through giving. Go to realchurch.us and click the Give button. Whether you're praying, giving, or serving with Real Church, you are playing a part in every life being changed. Thank you. Until our next podcast, be blessed. We'll see you next time.